0: Welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. LGBT advocates across the country have been fighting for years to end the dangerous practice of conversion therapy. Few practices hurt LGBT people more, and especially LGBTQ youth, than attempts to change their sexual orientation or their gender identity through conversion therapy. Conversion therapy can cause depression, substance abuse, and even suicide. This year, because of the hard work of LGBT advocates and our members, New York finally passed a statewide law banning this life-threatening practice. And thanks to New York law and existing state and local consumer protection, hi Matthew, laws, thanks for every joining Every LGBTQ today. New Yorker will continue to have legal recourse against this fraudulent and life-threatening practice. So while we're making great advances across the US, we still have a lot of work to do. And in June of 2014, the National Center for Lesbian Rights launched Born Perfect, the campaign to end conversion therapy. Born Perfect works to pass laws across the country to protect LGBTQ youth and adults, fights in courtrooms to ensure their safety, and raises awareness about the serious harms caused by conversion therapy. We are lucky to have with us today one of the leading advocates in the fight to end the harmful and stigmatizing and fraudulent practice of conversion therapy. On today's show, we are going to be talking about the battle to ban conversion therapy in all 50 states, what's going on on the legislative front, and what's going on in the courts. With us is Matthew Shirka, co-founder and chief strategist of the Born Perfect campaign. Hi, Matthew. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for taking the trip in from Long Island today.
1: Yeah, I was. It was the holidays, the Jewish ones. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, Rosh Hashanah, yeah. Rosh Hashanah. So happy New Year. Thank you. Um, it was nice, nice to be with family, and I'm here, back in the city.
0: Awesome. Well, welcome. Thanks for making the time to speak with me today. Um, are you back from traveling? Were you in Utah or?
1: Oh man. Um, I've been traveling a lot more than I usually do. Um, I was so last week was a big, uh, yeah, a lot of travel. Basically, started the week in LA. We I co-hosted a screening for a Lifetime movie based on a true story of a young woman. She was a teenager who went through conversion therapy. Um, If you if you're a Lifetime viewer and you want to check that out, the film is called Trapped: The Alex Cooper Story. Um, it's a pretty um, horrendous story. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to laugh, but this—I uh, sh- guess I'll share this. Um, this young girl went through conversion therapy, really just on the basis of physical abuse. Okay. Um, she's from California. Comes out gay or lesbian. Parents send her to one of these homes in Utah, where it's like two to parents, two—you uh, know—a couple that has like you know three to four kids at a time that they're helping them come straight and these are not licensed professionals the parents actually signed over their guardianship so if she tried to run away the police would bring her back uh it's a small town and it, this is a true story and the, the most amazing part of the story is paul burke and shannon minter who are two very well-known lawyers how they actually legally got her out of there as a minor um i wish the lifetime movie went more into the legal aspect right um I think that's like, it's so unheard of. I, it, just to give you like a, a, an example, how old
0: was she at the time? Like she minor, was sixteen when she was put yeah. into
1: this. When her guardianship was given to a, a strange, strange couple that she did not know of. Oh my god! And she got out of there. She ran away between the age sixteen and seventeen. Probably took another year, year and a half to legally have her. I don't even know what she got. I mean. She got a court order that her parents had to go to PFLAG meeting and a court order that she was allowed to date women. Like, that is so unheard of. And it was in the state of Utah. Um, If you ever want to look up Alex Cooper's story and Paul Burke, the lawyer who represented her, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, But yes, uh, we can get into that more than that. Well,
0: what I think is really fascinating and why I'm really excited for you to be here today is kind of, you know, there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast that know broadly about conversion therapy and that it's harmful and some of the statistics and why it's a fraud and why the medical consensus is overwhelmingly against this practice. But I don't know that a lot of people really know what we're talking about when we talk about conversion therapy and the various ways that it can manifest, like the way that you're talking. And then the creative legal strategies that we've seen people like Shannon Minter employ to kind of hold these practitioners accountable under existing laws and other things. So I'm super excited to talk to you about some of those
1: yeah. topics. I think it'd be great to start off by just saying what conversion therapy is. Yeah, do that. Because the, the term is so confusing. It's not therapy. Right.
0: And <laughs> and, and can you also say... like. What Born Perfect, how you came to Born Perfect yeah. and, and like all of that.
1: So I, so I'll start with me. Hi, yeah. my name is Matthew Shirk. <laughs> <laughs> I am a conversion therapy survivor. I was put into, put into conversion therapy for five years from age 16 to 21. I'm from the New York City area and I experienced conversion therapy in New York, New Jersey, Virginia, and California. Um, yes, it's a story in and of itself. I'll touch on parts of that. Um, When I did come out at 23 and then around 24, I shared my story publicly on a YouTube video for the It Gets Better project and the National Center for Lesbian Rights had reached out to me, this is in 2012, uh, to begin advocating with them. And yes, the legal director at NCLR, the acronym, is Shannon Minter and together we created Born Perfect in 2014. Um, And since then, it's like 75 pieces of legislation, which is about, it's 18 states and, you know, 56, 57 cities now have either passed laws or ordinances protecting LGBTQ youth from conversion therapy. Um, So, yeah, what a a journey this has been for me. And this is a really fast moving movement right right now uh, in our country. And so to just just to describe what conversion therapy is it's it is not therapy just conversion therapy has just been the best way to describe what we're what we're describing Mm -hmm. and so really conversion therapy is any attempt whether by a licensed professional or not of an individual of an individual trying to make another person alter their sexual orientation gender identity or gender expression so in a simpler way gay to straight as you may hear Um, But yes, trans people, gender non-conforming people are also included in that definition. And as this movement has grown and we're very successful in passing these laws so far, conversion therapists have been changing their language and how they describe what they do, especially the ones who are licensed psychiatrists or psychotherapists. And so you'll hear reparative therapy, you'll hear reintegrative therapy. You'll hear, you know, I don't do conversion therapy. I just help with traumas and um, sexual identity or, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're basically dancing around just because of what a bad rep now conversion therapy has gotten. Um, But really, that's just been the best way to describe it.
0: And there's a religious component sometimes as well. Um, yes,
1: there is definitely a religious component. So religious. So what we see here in the United States, we are seeing licensed professionals do conversion therapy, plus religious figures, pastors, rabbis, um, including imams or other Islamic people. Um, I want to use their appropriate language, but leadership in religious communities of any kind here in the U.S. Um, evangelical or Mormon both have that. It's pretty prevalent. And so even though we are seeing majority is religiously led, all of these religious leaders are working with a community of licensed professionals who are spreading their so-called belief that this is possible. And so they do work hand in hand. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can...
0: So um, when you talk about they that they're spreading um, their uh, message that it is possible to convert someone, from gay to straight, from one gender to another. Um, what does the science tell us on the other side?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so religiously you'll hear it's a sin and, right. you, and that's not a way of living and you need to procreate and et cetera, et cetera. The science... Again, there's no science. (laughs) There's no research or anything that backs this whatsoever. This is just a group of therapists, licensed professionals, who have gotten together and agreed upon this theory. And they say that there is no such thing as homosexuality. There's no such thing as being LGBTQ. And every person on this planet is innately heterosexual and cisgender. Um, And if you have anything that deviates off of that, so being LGBTQ it was caused by childhood trauma of some kind. Could be as subtle as an overbearing mother, not as, for a male at least, an overbearing mother, and mm-hmm. a distant father, classic Freudian example. Or it could be really something extreme where that person was molested or abused or raped as a child. But somewhere in this broad uh, spectrum of things that could have happened to you, uh, it deviated your sexual orientation and they say go to therapy heal the trauma you went through and you will naturally experience attraction to the opposite sex the way you were biologically intended to and I think for I mean I also experienced it but for a lot of parents who are naive about sexual orientation or um, anything of what it means to be LGBTQ it sounds really believable and my parents were really naive um, especially because my parents did want a licensed professional treating me you know we were jewish but more we were traditional jews um they didn't want really want a rabbi they wanted to know someone who's been educated um, and can bring their expertise and so this is back in 2004 when i started my conversion therapy and for my father who's really the one with, who was the most adamant about me going through conversion therapy saw it as an opportunity that his only son would not have to live a gay life and this was a chance that i could still be straight and so you know he was just my father was just willing to do anything he could um, for me to be what he imagined a better life uh, and so yeah that that the fact that he found a therapist and you know instead of a therapist who actually was honest in that what the research showed or what the medical associations say in this country which for if anyone out there wants to know Every single medical and mental health association in the United States denounces conversion therapy. You could lose your license if you're doing conversion therapy, and yet, why that wasn't enough was when we realized how many people are still doing it, and when we started to pa- go for laws, you know, passing legislation starting in 2012.
0: And. Uh... You know, you mentioned that your father just wanted um, a good outcome right for you. And there are recent studies that show that parents who send their LGBT um, children to conversion therapy, this is as recent as last year, something like 63% of them uh, attempt suicide. Is that right? Yeah.
1: We we have reports that show that just in the last year... um, the amount of teenagers who considered suicide um, if they were in conversion therapy uh, and that's I think that's the, the scariest part you know we're the LGBT community LGBTQ community is already at risk for high suicide rates and in other studies we've shown how rejection is really a, at the source of what you know harms a child's life who wants to come out mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that—that's the urgency around passing these legis- these pieces of legislation. And, you know, we get questions, why not make it for all ages and why is it only minors? And, well, the minors are the ones who are most at risk and have ze- the least amount of say. And so we knew that we'd be the most effective if we were to focus on, on minors. Yeah. There's still a lot of debate in this country whether adults, pro- there should be... Uh, I want to say prohibition, <laughs> uh, you know, laws that outlaw an adult from seeking conversion therapy. But of course, you know, if you ask the American Psychiatric Association, conversion therapy doesn't work, period, it doesn't matter what age you are. It's about protecting the individual and the fact that a therapist can say, hey, I can change you and it will cost this much and it will take this long. Um, that's what we're trying to protect. And so minors has been the way to go in really preventing the amount of harm that's out there right now.
0: So I have a statistic here when we're talking about, okay, so how many youth are actually subjected to this practice? The Williams Institute estimates 20,000 LGBT youths, 13 through 17, will receive conversion therapy from a licensed professional in states where it's permitted, and 57,000 LGBT youths, 13 to 17, aged uh, across all states will receive conversion therapy from re- religious organizations that's a staggering amount and do you think that those numbers are uh, you know accurate based on and and or you know the perception i think is particularly here in new york city oh that doesn't happen here that's something that happens out in utah nobody in my community is actually uh, subjected to this practice can you yeah. Answer some of those stats and then dispel some of the mythology around it?
1: Yeah. So the, the stats you just read, that's a prediction that will happen in the next five years. Okay. And that same study says, and that's, again, by the UCLA Williams Institute, that 700,000 people in the United States have gone through already conversion therapy. Half of that 700,000. 700,000. 700, just so anyone wants an example, that's the same size of the city as Boston. And oh so God. the numbers are staggering, and that study shows that half of the, that amount were minors when they were in conversion therapy. Um, I would probably say it's even bigger than that. Yeah, You know, this it, is a hard thing to measure, and UCLA did a great job with that research. And I would even say the numbers are just as high in the years to come. Um, because first, you know, I just want to take it back a second, what... LGBT people have to go through. You know that moment when you come out of the closet, your parents may not fully reject you, but they might say something like, well, are you sure?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that moment is heartbreaking for anyone in the LGBTQ community to go through because a heterosexual child or teenager will never experience that. There's nothing to question, are you sure, or that there's something wrong. That statement, are you sure, is a wrong, shameful statement in and of itself. Yeah. And so... We see therapists who, you know, even therapists who are not doing convergent therapy, but don't understand LGBTQ mental health may say the wrong thing many, many times. And so from what people are actually doing when they're trying to attempt to change a child's sexual orientation, the numbers are high. They are happening in rural areas and urban areas. I'm from New York City in the New York City area. I was treated in New York City and convergent therapy still happens here in New York City. What's great now is we get to see how the law is going to get tested now that we have a statewide law here in, in, in New York. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, Justice, and this is why I brought up maybe in the beginning, how they cha- they're they changing their language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I can even name a few off the bat that still, still do this. Um, sure, why not? I, I, yeah, <laughs> call them out. Eh? We... So, like, for example, there's a doctor by the name Joseph Nicolosi, Jr., uh, whos his father uh, was the greatest, uh, I guess inspiration or one of the founding people for doing conversion therapy here in the US and internationally. And so now that he's he passed in 2017, his son has an office here in Manhattan. I think it's like on Fifth Avenue and 37th Street, and he has an office in the LA Metro area. Uh, and you know, he's actually just put on, if you go to his website, I think it's like reintegrative therapy. Uh, if you look look up just Nicolosi he even does this whole video how it's not conversion therapy it's reintegrative therapy and this is how your attractions go away it's like call it what you want it's the same thing and this gentleman is operating here in New York Mm -hmm. and you know it's just about finding the best legal way to stop these individuals and so yes we are passing these laws and as you know we have litigation and lawsuits and we have now two lawsuits that have major wins where we've had survivors of conversion therapy sue their therapists and win on the basis of consumer fraud laws and that's the jonah trial that happened in jersey and a young woman in berkeley california her name is kate McCobb, who sued her conversion therapist and they won through a settlement and so we are seeing so just yeah there's two ways to look at this 18 states have outlaw conversion therapy for minors or conversion therapy is illegal already nationwide on existing consumer fraud laws and we're we as a legal group are you know asking more lawyers to take on lawsuits where they can sue therapists who are doing this work on the basis of existing consumer fraud laws
0: yeah i mean the the you mentioned the jonah case which is um 2012 case brought by the Southern Poverty Law Center that really was a first-of-its-kind lawsuit. And when you, you know, just the lawyer nerd in me, when I think about how, um, how clever and um, just persistent a lot of these uh, advocates have been in terms of using existing, a consumer protection law, who would <laughs> think that that's where you could turn to protect you know adults from from torture right Um, yeah
1: it's it's amazing um i think that's the part i love you know the creativity of lawyers and you know call it snake oil or call it heterosexuality for sale you know that's basically what it was they had to show that they were selling something you know here's a monetary exchange for goods and services where they promised to make A person heterosexual right and it couldn't prove it
0: yeah and this wasn't a federal court doing it on papers right it wasn't like there was some motion practice and then the court ruled that this is unconstitutional we're talking about like a state court in New Jersey going through a full-blown trial yeah where you know survivors have to be present facts have to be presented the other side has to make its best case and then the jury decides Um, and it's just a remarkable Story Um, And such a big win. And I think there's also the case that there's a Jonah part two where Jonah reformed as a new organization. New name, new organization. Same funding, same founder, like all the same stuff. And um, I think it was Southern Poverty Law Center again had to go in and shut it down. And now they're paying a massive, I mean, it's a massive fine, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I think they owed something initially. It was like... $3 million. Wow. I don't think they... I mean, they don't have the money to pay that. Right. That bankrupts you. Yeah. They're (laughs) bankrupt. Um, They had to shut down, which is, you know, they broke that violation by reforming as a new group. Yeah. Um, I do know one of the conversion therapists that was working for Jonah is now operating in Utah. But most importantly, it's the precedent we're creating in the country for how to end conversion therapy.
0: Right. And what are some of the places where, can you tell us a little bit about what the laws do um, and some of the places that might surprise people that these laws are passing?
1: Yeah, so Yeah. So so far it's 18 states. And the first thing I want to acknowledge is that as an advocate and co-founder for Born Perfect, it's my role and something I advocate for is that we're, this is not a political issue at all. You know, being LGBT is not a liberal idea. It's not a progressive idea. It is a part of the human condition. And because the country is so polarized, we're in a constant... Um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but be, you know, we constantly have to make sure how we are viewed. We are Because we are working with conservatives and or Republicans. Yeah. And so if you look at the 18 states, seven of those governors that have signed those laws are Republican governors. And people are always so surprised to hear that. And it's like... No, there's a lot of Republican support for the work we're doing. Right. You know, I think Chris Christie was the first Republican to sign a conversion therapy uh, law uh, protection. And it was even before New Jersey's passed marriage equality. And he even said in a statement when when he passed the conversion therapy protection, you know, I don't believe in gay marriage, but you definitely can't change them. And it was like, you oh, okay, you know, I can, I can, I can accept that. <laughs> I did not know
0: that history. Um, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> well, we're not going to try to make, um, you know, elevate Chris Christie here or offer him any praise, but um, yeah, he's not it, the, I don't be the best example. But, but still, but the point is, is that the support around
1: the country is really strong, and so what these laws specifically say. Is that it is illegal for a licensed professional to treat minors, anyone under the age of 18, with conversion therapy. With that definition being attempting to change or alter their sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. Um, It does not stop religious figures. It will stop if it's like a pastor who is also a mental health professional or a social worker or any type of licensing. And they seem to be the ones that are really... Opposing and pushing back the hardest. However, you know, time and time again, as we've seen, elected officials in these states have shown you have to honor your license. You have to honor what has been proven, what has backing, what has research, what you were taught in school. You know, receiving a license is a privilege that should not be taken to grant, should not be taken granted for. And that you can then go and claim whatever you want with right. that credibility.
0: Right. And states have the power to regulate who they're going to license for various professions, uh, certainly lawyers. Um, so it's the same thing with mental health providers and medical licenses, things like that. Um, so that's why, you know, when we think about now, we're seeing a lot of challenges brought by. All of these challenges are being brought by anti-gay hate groups, essentially, like Liberty Council, Alliance Defending Freedom. They have a lot of money and they're picking at these laws and they're making arguments that are about the First Amendment and freedom of speech and not trying to strip away a professional's right to engage in talk therapy or whatever you know terminology they're trying to uh, use to fl- make it a little bit more flowery. Um, but at the end of the day, the states do have the power to regulate what um, and who and what you can say as a licensed professional. It's a lot different than just Joe Public, right? Yeah, I think Utah is a great example for this. Yeah. You know, we, we want to make sure
1: we have support from the other, our opposition. So in Utah, it's the LDS church. And we would not really, we would not go forward at all if we didn't know we had some support or something where we got a green light, whether that's behind closed doors or not, to actually go for that. And so we did earlier this year. We we got a green light, and I think the language they used with us was, "We're not going to support it, but we're not going to stop it. Go ahead." Hmm. And we introduced a law that got turned down very quickly, and there was a huge outlash from the LGBT community in Salt Lake City specifically. Um, A shout out to Troy Williams, who's the executive director at Equality Utah, who sits on the suicide prevention board for the governor. He stepped down when that bill got taken away just because the governor didn't make a stronger position. And yet, here's one of the biggest causes of suicide in our country. And so what the governor of Utah had done was offer, introduce introduce a regulation to the entire Utah medical board. Instead of going to each board individually for a hearing you have to do like five or six hearings it was one hearing for all the boards for them to pass a regulation which does not involve the lds church it is specifically on medical and mental health practices only and that was the hearing we had last week mm-hmm. uh, opposition was there survivors were there it looked like it went really really well and we'll know by the end of this month if that regulation will pass um, and the church is working with us the church is Um, I think reluctantly showing support.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What's really um, interesting and gratifying is that there are multiple ways to come at this issue and use all the tools in the toolbox, whether it's through regulation, like you're saying, if you can't get a statewide um, piece of legislation passed, in localities where you're banning it, ordinance to, you know, county to county, or whether you're doing it through enforcement of consumer fraud laws, there are so many ways that um, advocates and legal experts are using their toolkit to to protect folks.
1: Yeah, even a resolution is powerful. Mm. I, you know, I want I want folks to know, even though a resolution is non-binding in any in any way, it is powerful when groups of elected officials in a certain locality have made that statement. It's what brings the issue to surface in the press and the media. Remember, a decade ago, nobody nobody knew what conversion therapy was. If they did, they didn't believe it was happening. And people now know more than ever that it's prevalent. Um, And so those resolutions are powerful. Um, You know, it does put pressure, you know, how we've been working. We are we are and we are we want city ordinances to to pass. 'Cause we want state governments to to act on them. And that's what happened in New York State, that's what happened in Pennsylvania happening now in Pennsylvania, Ohio. And if you look at Florida, I think Florida has twenty-seven city ordinances statewide. Mm. You know, and it's it's like you actually have the power to do something in
0: your local community. Well, that so that brings me to definitely at the very end. Uh, a call to action for folks who are listening because you've got people on this podcast who are um, lawyers, who are policy folks. Um, well, go ahead. Give us yeah, what should people um, do to take first, action.
1: First, check us out at bornperfect.org. Also on social media handles, same thing. If you're a lawyer and you potentially have a client that you can represent in a lawsuit against a conversion therapist, please contact us, Um we would support we want to see these lawsuits taking action we want to know that conversion therapy survivors are being protected and you really are it doesn't matter where you are in the in the united states you are creating precedent for a really strong movement
0: so yeah and the folks at born perfect really um you don't have to go through this alone if you're a litigator and you want to use. not at all you've got a plaintiff that you really want to protect right like there are groups and advocates that will help you make this legal claim.
1: Yeah, it's whether it's me myself <laughs> or literally our entire team of legal attorneys. Um, right. You know, we' we have offices in San Francisco, DC, and New York. and're we're, we're here to support. like please don't hesitate.
0: And every single court, it's important to note, has cited and upheld conversion therapy bans. Yeah, so every time a,
1: a, a piece of legislation has been challenged, it has been upheld every mm-hmm. time. Uh, it looks like that's also getting more difficult just because the courts have changed with the Trump administration. And people, like you said, Liberty Counsel and Alliance Defending Freedom are pursuing more and more lawsuits uh, regarding conversion therapy. So, you know, it's been upheld six to seven times now since we started a decade ago. Uh, we currently have two ongoing lawsuits. Well it was four, if you had asked me that question uh, a week and a half ago, uh it's now and those got either um yeah, again like upheld noted out, yeah, yeah, or upheld. Yeah. Yes, and here we are. We have two we have two ongoing and it's you know, we're prepared for the worst if we if we lose one and it may it may happen. Um and just because of who these new judges are. And,
0: and, I mean, ahead. just to interject, the the Trump administration has successfully appointed. I think we're just over a hundred judges to um, federal courts at the district court level, at the appellate court level. These are really powerful folks, and that's like twenty five percent of the judiciary. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about the places that Trump is turning to to appoint judges. They are people with not only who have anti-LGBT views, but are advocates for conversion therapy. There's a guy, Stephen Grotz, that's now um, on the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, powerful court, um, that used to be a part of Nebraska family, whatever it is. Um, And he was the president of that organization. His son works for that organization. They promote conversion therapy. This is someone who now has a lifetime judgeship. And so you know you can have the best legal arguments in the world, but when you're you've you've got the deck stacked this heavily against you, um, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, that's I
1: could have not said that any better. And maybe this is the non-legal side of Born Perfect, but it's the public education, which is if it, if we're in a, like a you know. If the clock is ticking, that we're going to have eventually a lawsuit from the Supreme Court regarding conversion therapy, and we'll do you know have the best legal arguments we can have, it's the public education that's so important. You know, literally shifting opinion in this country. Public opinion is so important. Movies like Boy Erase or The Miseducation of Cameron Post or the Lifetime movie that came out, the stories of survivors coming out, stories of survivors from conservative families coming out. Mm-hmm. We have an advantage that LGBTQ communities does impact all communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that is mm-hmm. the one thing that we are able to really communicate the you know the human rights for all LGBTQ people. So, from a non legal point of view, to continue to talk about the impact of conversion therapy with the people you know, whether it's even within your own law firm or your own family at home, it does make a huge difference. And for people to know how real it is,
0: yeah. And so why don't we close with, I mean, what is it, um, there are a lot of things you could do with your with your professional life, right? Um, yeah. What is it that makes um, co-founding Born Perfect and now uh, your work all across the country, uh, what drives you so important um, for you and for others? Um, you know, I, I really see
1: ending conversion therapy as the first domino for all lgbt rights what do i mean ending conversion therapy is still that original question what does it mean to be gay is it an illness are you you know is it something just mental and it is weird that in today's country in our country today we have marriage equality and you can also send your kid to a conversion therapist Right. And I really believe for so many people, and I I see this as a person on the ground who is still educating people who don't know or never even met another LGBT individual. It almost seems so impossible to even fathom, especially if you live in a big city like New York or LA. But one of the biggest driving factors for me is we're creating acceptance from a deep, deep level of understanding that people have never had before Mm. by passing these laws, especially with Republican governors as well. And so I really see that if people understand what it means to LGBTQ fully, employment would no longer be an issue. People who have disagreements with marriage equality wouldn't be an issue. Having trans people in the military is not an issue. Why are so many trans women of color being murdered in our country and if there's an understanding that being lgbtq is a part of the human condition that is like the greatest thing that i believe born perfect can deliver or at least achieve uh um <laughs> just like the broadest way possible um for our entire society
0: that's uh, really powerful and i'd never thought of it like that and certainly because just seems like everyone I know at times is queer. Um, it's just a reminder that, you know, when you travel to some of these communities, um, sometimes they haven't, they haven't, they don't know this experience. They haven't heard um, from the kind of voices that you're bringing forward, particularly youth who've gone through something like this. They're not people that you expect to listen to um, and they have powerful stories to tell. Do you have uh, a closing kind of story that you remember uh, that you use in your advocacy, or from testimony, or anything that kind of, um, you know, illustrates just uh, how powerful and important this work is?
1: Hmm. Um, I think when I meet with other survivors, I'm always reminded, you know, because. For anyone who's listening, you know I'm not a I'm not an actual lawyer. I'm a survivor of conversion therapy that works with a team of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way. Uh, Skip law <laughs> school. <laughs> um, and you know I can I'm wearing my co-founder or strategist hat, and you know I can get really hyper-focused on the laws and you know just what needs to go into them. But when I sit down with other survivors and the impact that it's had on them, and then when I do have a reconciliation with their family or their a, a new chosen family. That's probably the most impactful uh, moment for me when I realized how incredible the work is. And, and I'll add to that for myself, you know, I went through, I was 16 years old, I went through five years of conversion therapy, another, I don't know, three, four years of figuring myself out, then coming out and then starting my life in my wow. mid-twenties, Yeah. And I look back, and I'm like, I knew exactly who I was at 16. I knew what I liked. I knew what I was attracted to. I knew what I was passionate about. And I went through this 10 or 15-year process just to get back to exactly where I was, to be like, hey, you actually knew who you were. Mm -hmm. And that's who you are now. And the amount of affirmation or no more self-doubt is the greatest gift I think anyone in the LGBT community deserves to have.
0: And I know I keep saying finally, but there's always one more thing I want to ask. Um, uh, It makes me think that because we talked about the startling numbers of LGBT people who go through um, conversion therapy, that we probably have a lot of people listening to this who are LGBT who have gone through conversion therapy in some way. Um, And uh, can you mention some of the resources or what folks should can do, even if they they may know somebody um, or experience themselves, what are the resources out there from a non-legal point of view of just like how to get help or, you know, deal with? I always, so
1: for one, if if, if there's someone who may not even be openly gay or LGBTQ um, and you're having thoughts of suicide or depression, contact the Trevor Project for sure. If you're a person, and I actually make this really important point because a lot of people who may have been in conversion therapy are not really identify as being gay. Mm. I would say contact the crisis text line if you are a person who experiences same sex attraction. You know, a man who likes to have sex with men, or one likes to have sex with women, or or more. um, You know, you you don't don't feel like you have to be pushed to come out. Maybe that's, you know, you're still figuring it out and you want to talk to someone. Uh, The Crisis Text Line has been a really valuable resource. Um, Or just finding someone in your community you know you can talk to about it. And don't feel like you have to be pressured in defining what that is yet.
0: Matthew, thank you so much for talking to me today and uh, happy new year and thank happy you. <laughs> you don't have to go back to Long Island now. Now yes. you can relax. Um, <laughs> it really you. feels like fallout here. Get yourself a pumpkin
1: spice latte. I, I know. I'm still I'm gay and I'm, I'm one of those gay men that don't drink iced
0: coffee year-round. Thank you. Get it? Okay. <laughs> Bye. And thank you so much for listening. The Legal LGBT Podcast is produced by the LGBT Bar of New York. Uh, Legal, the LGBT bar of New York offers several legal services that are devoted to serving the LGBTQ community. Whether you're an attorney, a law student, or anyone else who's eager to donate either your time, your skills, your money to furthering our mission and the mission of our foundation, we have a variety of ways for you to get involved. We have a weekly legal clinic that takes place at the LGBT Center every Tuesday night in Manhattan. We also have monthly legal clinics that happen in Harlem, the Bronx, And we even have an LGBTQ youth clinic that happens every Saturday. If you're interested in getting involved and volunteering, we're always looking for attorneys. And, of course, you can make a donation to LEGAL, the LGBT Bar Association of New York, and help us to serve the 2,000 LGBT low-income folks who turn to us for legal help every year free of charge. Just visit lgbtbarny.org and click Donate. We will actually be back next week on Tuesday, right after oral argument at the Supreme Court in the cases that are going to be argued there on behalf of LGBT employment fairness. We'll break down everything that happened during oral argument and our take on what's next. Thank you so much for listening.